Welcome to episode number 60 of the Connected Aircraft Podcast. Today is Friday, June 11th. My name is Woodrow Bellamy III. And on today's episode, we will be featuring one of the most attended sessions from our Connected Aviation Intelligence program this week. This week, my colleague Mark Holmes and I remotely hosted our latest installment of the Connected Aviation Intelligence webcast series, where we featured a total of eight sessions between Tuesday and Thursday of this week. It was a great opportunity to learn more about new connected aircraft technologies, both already in service as well as those in development like 5G. We also had a bunch of exciting individual airline presentations from airlines such as Finnair, uh, the new low-cost U.S.-based airline Avilo, as well as Air France KLM. You can view all of those sessions on demand. I am including a link to the free registration for the on-demand event in the podcast notes. In this episode, we're featuring one of the most engaging panel discussions from this week, entitled The Leo Revolution is Underway in Satellite. What does it mean for airlines? LEO, of course, stands for Low Earth Orbit Satellite Constellations that are being developed currently by a number of different major satellite players. And we had representatives of three of the biggest satellite players that are currently developing Low Earth Orbit Satellite Constellations, including Manic Vinokoda. He's the Director of Commercial and Product Development for Telesat, Ben Griffin, Vice President of Mobility for OneWeb Satellites, and Jonathan Hofeller, Vice President of Starlink Commercial Sales for SpaceX. This panel went for just under one hour and was hosted by my colleague Mark Holmes, Editorial Director of Via Satellite. If you are wondering whether SpaceX's Starlink will be providing in-flight connectivity within the next decade or so, or what the status of OneWeb satellites are, or the path ahead for Telesat's LEO constellation, this is the episode for you. All three of the panelists discuss comparisons of LEO to GEO satellites, as well as the type of impact that LEO satellites could have on the type of service level agreements for in-flight connectivity that airlines can adopt as a result of what LEO connectivity will bring to the overall connected aircraft passenger and pilot experience. So let's get into this episode featuring a panel from our Connected Aviation Intelligence program this week featuring SpaceX, OneWeb, and Telesat. We now have the the panel titled The LEO Revolution is Underway in Satellite. What does it mean for airlines? We have three great speakers today, so I'm going to welcome them, and then we're going to get straight into the questions. If you have questions, please uh, submit them via the comments, and we will get to them later. So, you know, I'm hoping we'll get a few questions today. So let's introduce our speakers. We have uh, Jonathan Hoffella, who's the Vice President of Starlink Commercial Sales at SpaceX. We have Manik Vinakota, Director of Commercial and Product Development Telesat. And we have Ben Griffin, Vice President of Mobility at OneWeb. So firstly, welcome to you all and and thank you for for taking part in today's um, discussion. So 
I'm going to start with some questions and then and then we'll hopefully get some ones from the audience and we'll, we'll go from there. I'm going to go back to our, our, we did a recent event, our Satellite 2021 Digital Leo Forum. I think all of your companies spoke at that event as well. Um, Norm Houghton of Air Canada was one of the speakers at that event. And he said, he, he said really interesting stuff actually, that once the Leo constellations are in, pl in place, he can see quite easily Air Canada moving to a Leo-based solution. Um, is that anonymous sign for traditional geo-based operators here? And what is sort of the future for uh, the future of aviation and, and Leo? So let me let me start with you, Manik, then I'll go to, to Jonathan then and then to Ben. Thank you, Mark, and welcome to all the people on this um, interesting talk today. So regarding um, Air Canada's comment, um, um, I, I think Air Canada is at the frontier of trying to solve for good passenger experience. The opening videos did a great job at explaining or what the passengers and the crew want. It's seamless, it's high throughput, it's low latency and so forth. So as the airlines become more clearer as to what drives good experience for the passenger and for the cockpit and the crew, um, we believe at Telesat that um, uh, the Leo architecture would would be a perfect fit to check all those boxes um as a as a, as a geo operator also which telesat has been for the last 50 years uh, we we came to that same conclusion few years ago that uh, geo is great for certain use cases but when you want to get to good data experience a leo architecture is the solution thank you Mike. let me go to to jonathan great uh uh, and I think Manic said, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the, the important points. You can't uh, you can't really mess with physics uh, when, when it comes down to it. Uh, having a low Earth orbit constellation means you are physically closer to your physically closer to your end user, and that's going to lead to a, uh, a a better experience. Um, and we're not looking for a, a good experience. Uh, people are expecting great experiences. Um, they use uh, fiber at their home. Um, and they want their experience on a plane to be no different, no more frustrating or less frustrating than, than it currently is at their house. Um, ideally, an even better solution. Um, and, and so, at, you know, at, at Starlink, as, as, as we push forward uh, in our aviation vertical, like this is something that we are, we are dead set on, is focused on making sure that the experience is great, as I'm sure my, my uh, compatriots here on the, on the phone call are as well. Okay, let, let me go to Ben. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Mark. And thanks, everyone, uh, for the opportunity to, to be here today. It's very exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, at the risk of repeating everything that's been said, <laughs> I agree with everything that's been said. Um, but I think summarised best, really, in, in three three sort of bullets, really. Um, and I'll touch upon what Air Canada said. They're not alone in, in thinking that. And in fact, many airlines that we've spoken to, and indeed airspace users that we've spoken to over the last sort of year, 18 months, have all reflected the same kind of sentiment. They're very excited, um, positively anxious about what Leo brings, and really want to, you know, see and feel it a bit, a bit more. So I think this this level of excitement is um, is all over the uh, the aviation industry. So, um, but it's great that great that Norm Norm said that, of course. So the three things I think really sum this up are um, the benefits that are provided in capacity, in coverage, and in in the low latency that we've mentioned as well. Um, the low latency piece, as, as Jonathan just mentioned, is really, really important. Um, you just get a better experience. Um, and as 
passengers and, and people generally on, on the ground are much more used to 4G, 5G, fiber, all these fast um, types of connections and experiences, that's just going to proliferate more and more into the um, cabin space. So when we have the, you know, the, the, you know, uh, the enviable uh, view of young people traveling in, in the next 5, 10, 15 years, so tomorrow's business passengers will will expect this. Um, and Geo, Geo provides a good service today, but as, as Jonathan said, and I'm sure Manic will agree, we need to take it to the next level to to meet the demands of the passenger for the next 10, 15, 20 years and beyond. Okay, well, thank you. I just want to, a quick follow up with Jonathan there. I know, I mean, I know we've talked with Telesat and OneWeb uh, before about aviation, probably a little bit less so with sort of SpaceX. Could you give us a little bit more on your sort of definitive plans in aviation when we might start to see deals involving SpaceX and airlines? How far away are we from that? Sure. Um, and, and similar to the way we've approached um, all of our services to date is, is we focus on getting the, the, the solution right. We're not as public on, on a lot of the things that we're doing as, as, as some of our competition. Um, and, you know, focus on getting the Constellation deployed, which we've done a great job doing. We've, we've launched uh, over 30 launches, 1,700 satellites, getting that up and running. We're in beta um, for the consumer. On the aviation, we're in talks with uh, several of the airlines. Um, we have our own aviation product uh, in development um, and, and looking to get, uh, you know, we, we've already done some, some demonstrations to date um, and, and looking to get that product finalized for to be put on aircraft in the, in the very near future. Interesting. Um, by the, uh, I'm gonna ask a slightly futuristic question here. Um, by the end of the 2020s, how much of airline traffic, and I'm talking maybe more percentages here, um, do you think will be on LEO satellites compared maybe to, to MEO or GEO? And what do you see the balance, at, balance of that at the end of this decade when obviously hopefully all of, your, all of the constellations are established and lots of satellites are on? So, when, and again, specifically on the aviation vertical, what do you see the balance uh, LEO versus Mio Geo, maybe in ten years, nine, ten years time. So let let me start with let me start with Ben with that one. I'll see what you did there. Going the other way around. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think um, I, I think what we'll see. I mean, for starters, you know, aviation is fairly a fairly risk averse industry anyway, uh, and given given what it's been through the last couple of years and continues to go through, I think it will continue to be. So it's not it's not the best time to be bringing new technology into um, uh in, into this industry but that said i think with the readiness of networks and constellations uh which which is not far off at all the readiness of terminals and solutions which again is not too far off at all either um and establishing a level of credibility in in the leo space which i think will happen very quickly um we'll see quite a quite an acceleration of um of, of uptake in in, in Leo services, certainly towards the you know the second half of the decade, that will really really um, really take off if you're if you're part of a very poor pun. Um, but I think the, um, the you know from certainly in OneWeb's case from late 22 early 23 um, when we'll launch our, our aviation services, um, we we you know we're not we're not going to expect everyone on the ground aircraft and rip geo stuff off or, or air to ground or whatever it might be and, and rush and put ours on. That's simply not realistic um, but I do think um, I do think there will there will be uh, 
um, there'll be a sort of um, an, an upward tick towards the, the back end of the decade. But we're, we're, we're fairly confident of, of a good uh, uptake in, in Leo services. Before I go, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit there. In terms of percentages, are you seeing 50-50 between Leo and others? Or do you think Leo will be the, the majority in 10 years? I, I would, I would, in 10 years' time, I'd, I'd expect Leo to take the majority. Okay. Right, Manik, I'm going to put you on the spot now with that same question. And uh, and what, what are your thoughts on, I guess, Leo versus MioG and the percentage of traffic as these constellations? In, I mean, I'm saying 10 years. Where do you see that being yeah. at? Yeah, if I have to use my crystal ball as to where the aero industry will be in 10 years and work backwards from there, um, there's uh, the center of gravity of aviation has been shifting from west it's somewhere in the middle of the world and it's shifting more east. So as you see more east-west traffic happening, you're going to fly more over the polar routes. So having polar connectivity is going to be even more important in the future. Um, many airlines uh, want to give, uh, like all of us have a great experience, which is by the end of the decade, I would be surprised, especially on the long haul routes, if everyone is not connected unless you're sleeping or you really don't want to be connected. So you're not just talking good downlink speeds. You want to uplink as well. All of us on aircrafts want to send emails and upload pictures and so forth. So it's almost going to get symmetric links. Um, and on top of that, uh, uh, hopefully uh, putting the COVID impact aside, the deliveries of aircrafts will continue. That continuous onboard trajectory that has been happening for almost for the last 10 years. So more aircrafts means more busier airports, more hubs. So you'll have more air. So the hotspots will only get denser. You need more traffic, more capacity at major airport hubs, uh, maybe new airport hubs as uh, more airports are developed. So all of these are problems that geo cannot solve. You can't do polar. You can only put so much capacity over an airport. You can only up upload so much data on a geo satellite. So because of all these factors, I agree with Ben that over the next decade, I think at least Lightspeed, we've designed Lightspeed to solve for all of this so that airlines have one network to serve them. They don't have to patch multiple networks to for a solution, which kind of breaks the experience. So I would agree with Ben. I think it will be predominantly a Leo uh, share of the market. Jonathan, what's your what, crystal ball percentage of, of Leo-based aviation traffic versus uh, Mio and Geo? Sure. Um, and actually, I'll, I'll help by illustrate by by monitoring Telesat and, and 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 their investments and their look at the future. Is they're not launching any more geo satellites that I'm aware of, right? They're, they're they're focusing on on their Leo constellation and and knowing that that's the future. So in 10 years, um, uh, a good number of the the geo satellites that are on orbit will be uh, decommissioned or or um, in the question is well whether the whether they will be replaced or not. So it could be a natural selection. I think. All in all, it's going to come down. The passenger passengers and customers want a great experience that geosystems simply cannot provide, um, and so it's going to be up to the individual airline whether they want to be responsive to that, um, or if there are if they're um, okay with having uh, a system that is not as, as responsive to their customers' demand. Um, so yeah, I know you're going to put me on the spot anyway um, on, on a percentage. Um, uh, crystal ball you know the percentage is going to start with a nine <laughs> i don't know what's going to be be uh, available in, in 10 years but um certainly it's up to the companies at this uh at this venue to to 
make a great experience that everyone's going to want and 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 capture most of that market. Just so just just so that I've got that correctly, you, you're thinking ninety percent plus in ten years will be based on Leo. Yes. Okay. And, and that and I don't know what the ten percent would be <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but for 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 in-flight connectivity for for the core passenger experience. Uh, let me just follow up with Ben and Manic quickly on that. Um, I mean, uh, I mean, both of you said the majority. Do you, I mean, I mean, there's a big gap between 51 and 90. Uh, are you are you along the lines of Jonathan, where you expect it to be in that sort of range, or is or do you maybe slightly disagree with that? I'd I'd be very happy for it to be sure. up in the, in the 90th percentile for sure. Um, I. I you know, I'd, I'd pour a little bit more sobriety on it. I, I'd expect it. Um, I mean, I don't know. If it's purely speculative, um, but probably sixty percent, seventy percent range, something like that. But it's um, uh, it it really does depend on what what happens terrestrially and and what the uptake is, and um, obviously and and some other factors that you know it's very hard to forecast. But I think based upon the things we mentioned earlier, based upon performance, on coverage. And low latency economics all those sorts of things um then yeah i i, I think uh i think it's, we should be bullish with leo I, i'll go with jonathan I, I think it'll be in that very high percentage 90 plus for leo okay great um we, we'll get to some audio uh, the questions are already starting to fly in which is which is great hope you're enjoying the session uh before we do i'm going to ask one or two more um one question i mean Along the similar lines of this talk of Leo, Mio, Geo, and New Era and satellite, and we, we talk about it a lot in the satellite industry, but airlines themselves seem pretty confused about it. They're, they're not, they always tell me we're not satellite experts. Um, what would you sort of say to them? Because, I mean, they were confused between KU and KA band, and now they've got all these multi-orbits different. Um, how do you... How does this, how does the industry itself have better conversations with its customers here? Because the airline customers have been confused for almost two decades about satellite technology. So let me start with let me start with with Manic for this one, and then we'll go to Ben okay. and John. Yeah, I can again having been in this space for a long time and serving it via geo satellites and our and our service providers. The shift we are seeing right now with airlines as well as service providers serving the aviation market um, is they're getting increasingly focused on we, we talk about passenger experience but um, all of us can define it very differently so they're getting down to and along with getting it's getting it's getting more serious they are not treating it as um, something on, on the side since it's become a ceo agenda item so what exactly does passenger experience mean what kpis and slas do i want to put on my connectivity provider and forget and technology comes after that technology should align with what you're, you're aiming to get to from a passenger experience perspective or from an operational uh, efficiency perspective for the crew and the cabin so that's the shift we are seeing uh, technology comes only later whether it's ku k and, and all of that doesn't matter uh, and of course the business case so solve for my kpis solve for my business case and then whatever fits the box works out for them. So that's the shift we are seeing in the last two, three years. Okay, let's go to Ben. Yeah, I, again, predictably agree with a lot, a lot that's been said. I, I think in the, in, the, in the many years I've been working in this space, it's been, um, uh, you know, 
airline and aviation customers want to understand more and more. Uh, and what I've been trying to do certainly is push them back and, and say, okay, well, try and tell us what your requirements are without trying to understand satellites. So it needs a bit of a bit of work on both sides, so we can uh, so so we can you know fully understand what the requirement is, what they're trying to do, who their passengers are, what they're trying to do, and then we can marry it from the other side. So it should be quite simple in terms of just just delivering uh, the service that's required, rather than people trying to understand how satellites work, what an orbital plane is, um, you know, how many megabits per second they they think they need. Airlines and, and aircraft operators should be flying aircraft and, and getting passengers from A to B or cargo or what, whatever the application is. We should be taking, the industry should be taking care of delivering what we say we're going to deliver to fulfill those requirements. Before I go to Jonathan, is the satellite, in your opinion, because, uh, you know, I, I know you and I have known each other many years, Ben, and, uh, and worked in this sector. Has the satellite industry got better at having these conversations, do you think? Or is there still work to be done? Ben, that was so. That one was for you. Uh, that was a follow-up for you. Do you think the satellite industry has got better at having these conversations? Um, kind of. I, I, I think the satellite industry has sort of been, uh, to to some degree, sort of taking a, a a narrative that suits their their constellation, their service to airlines, and saying. Yeah, here's what we can do. We hear what your requirements are, but why don't you just take this? You know, so it's like going to a, a garage and asking for a, you know, a, a sports car and ending up with a sedan or or something like that. You know, it's it's not. I don't think the requirements, because perhaps the the capability of the networks aren't there to 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 meet the requirements of of what's being asked for. So, um, although as I mentioned earlier, and 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 my colleagues on the call mentioned earlier, what's being offered today is is quite good. But I don't think it's anywhere near what uh, the industry is demanding today. So yes, I, I you know, I, I think the industry has got better at it, but I think it can do an awful lot more. But that only comes with the capability of of service and network. Jonathan, uh, sure. Um, my understanding of the of the incumbent view is that it's complex. Because it's been developed over the over the course of, of several decades, I think one of the things that we can do as, as an industry is, is simplify, put the complexity on our side. If, if you know the conversations, the more you can simplify it, um, and, and say we have a global network, you can get great internet everywhere. Um, I think because bandwidth has been so limited, you have SLAs where they monitor every little megabit per second that comes through. And you know some folks buy megahertz and, meg and gigabits and gigabytes, and, and, and it gets pr pretty confusing um, because they're they're trying to manage a very small amount of bandwidth. Um, but if you're providing, uh, let's say, near un unlimited bandwidth, um, you know the companies might have less of a concern about all, all the details that go into it. Um, whether it comes from a satellite or comes from the ground, if they're going to get their hundreds or megabits per second or gigabits per second connection, they're going to be less concerned, less, less of something they have to, to issue. So we work really hard on trying to simplify the whole equation. Um, it, it's probably converse to, to, to some of the airlines nature to, to, to go in the, in this simple direction that we're, we're trying to push things. Um, but it's an education process for us and it's an education process for, for them. Um, 
you know, similar to, to if you look at what the ter terrestrial analogy is, um, m businesses that buy a fiber line aren't generally worried unless there's there's some very you know critical infrastructure about the details of of an SLA. Um, some are, some aren't. Um, but what we're finding is is be because the offering what we're offering is, is such a giant step. Uh, function and, and, and capability and capacity that a lot of their concerns and questions could go away. Okay, I'm going to get to some audience questions um, now. Uh, and thank you for everybody that's uh, putting questions in. Um, we have a, I mean, I know we touched upon this, but so, uh, one of the questions is, could you give a clearer explanation between Leo and others? Um, which I kind of follow. It was a nice follow-on, really, from uh, the last question. So, so Jonathan, I'm going to going to stick okay. with you and go to uh, Manic or Ben if they want to follow up. A clear explanation versus geo or versus air to ground. Um, well, I, I would imagine. Why don't we take both? That's okay. Yeah, I, I don't know how great I'm going to be at a clear explanation, um, but you know, our, our 1,700 satellites that are flying and, and we're adding. Um, you know, 60 at a, at a whack every, every couple of weeks um, provides a, a global mesh um, and airlines are flying underneath that global mesh and they have connectivity anywhere they go um, as compared to, and that is the infrastructure, uh, as compared to a geo, which is made up of, uh, you know, individual geo satellites, um, which have to do, um, you know, coordination. Sometimes they're with the same company, sometimes they're not the same company. Um, that is their infrastructure. And then on the terrestrial side, there's a lot of ground infrastructure that, that has to be put in place. So looking at the mesh as a network that you're flying underneath, um, it, it, to me is, is a simple explanation. But I just made that up on the fly, so. <laughs> uh, no, excellent. Uh, Manik, anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I'll, <clears throat> I'll extend Stephen, uh, Jonathan's explanation. So. Um, there are three fundamental differences, uh, just adding on to the mesh analogy that Jonathan said. So depending on uh, how your LEO is architected, and just for the record, LEO is a parking, uh, LEO is an orbit, it is not a network. So everyone can design differently, uh, but most LEOs have full global coverage, which is a limitation. So the mesh that Jonathan mentioned is global everywhere, which is not the case with GEO. The mesh, again, is um, at least the mesh that Telesat is designing is highly flexible, which means you can have a lot of capacity over small airport hubs, which is uh, traditionally been a challenge with satellites, which are 35,000 kilometers away. Um, and um, um, f finally, from the, the distance you solve for the latency, um, which all of us on this panel will definitely allude to. So you're talking about 20, at least 20 times more uh, responsiveness um, to, the, to the passenger or to the user versus uh, a, a geo mesh. Ben, I'll, I'll leave it to you for some yeah, more. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the only thing I can add to, to, you know, in very simple terms is that geostationary satellites are geostationary, so they don't move in relation to the globe, and they're usually on um, equatorial, uh, um, not like not even orbits, but um, on equatorial plane. So, that, so they don't, they're not able to see the, the poles um, and provide service. Whereas LEO satellites are constantly moving, this, this mesh constantly moving around the globe uh, the whole time and, and, and putting putting capacity down uh, in that sense. 
the other the other notable difference at least in, in one word's case i can't speak for my for my uh, my friends on the call here that the ground infrastructure is significantly different um because of what i've just mentioned you need much more ground infrastructure as well which actually is is um is, is an advantage you have we can get much closer uh, more pops get closer to the internet in various places around the world um so you know Firstly, in terms of space, so, so uh, as Manik said, 36,000 kilometers for a, a geostationary versus around about 1,000 kilometers for a low Earth orbit satellite. Very, very different in terms of proximity to the Earth and the physics that Jonathan mentions gives you the much, much, much lower latency, which results in the in the better uh, passenger or, or, or connectivity experience. Okay, well, thank you for that one. Uh, the next question, I, I kind of like this question. I'm not sure you'll be able to give me a direct answer, but I'm, I'm going to ask it anyway, because I think it's a fun question. Um, it's, uh, who, who do you think will be the first Leo airline? <laughs> Any, I assume that, put, that means uh, an airline that is uh, going to uh, dive into this maybe quicker than others. Uh, any, anybody wants to give me a prediction on this one? Well, based on your first question today, I'd say Air Canada, but, you know, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. And if we knew, trust me, we'd, we'd, we'd have uh, made a release on that by now. But, um, you know, does, I, I don't does, know. And I, I'm not, I'm not going to speculate on um, on here. Does, does SpaceX's uh, air carriers count? <laughs> <laughs> a commercial, <laughs> commercial airline, is that what you said? <laughs> I, I mean... Joking aside, I mean, I mean, we, we mentioned Air Canada. There, do we? Would we maybe expect a North Amer American airline to to be one of to be the first, or 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 not, or not as the case may be? I mean, if we can't, I mean, I know it's difficult to predict which airline it, it will ultimately end up being, but yeah. but but it, but ultimately, would we would we expect uh, maybe one of the big North American airlines to to go first here, or or would? Or would it be maybe one of the big Middle East airlines? Or what do we think? Certainly, there's a simplicity in in, in doing one in in, in North America, um, just from a regulatory standpoint. Um, and so, there, there's certainly aspects of that that are attractive. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a direct answer for you, Mark, but but I can tell you the path towards which airlines are working to be the first, if if at all. Um, so. With, with the Lightspeed network, uh, we envision there'll be um, not a rip and replace way to get onto Leo, but use your existing hardware. Uh, we already announced uh, that with one of our partners, uh, uh, Avunu or Global Eagle, uh, but also other hardware that is in the market today. So I think the, the airlines which will come first to Leo, uh, at least from our uh, world, is um, airlines who have existing hardware that is future compatible with Leo. So your transition is, is going to be much smoother, much more seamless uh, than, than having to park the aircraft for a whole day or so to rip and replace and the cost associated with that. Uh, so that's where most of the airlines are, or the airlines that are want to get early in the race, that's where the head is. How do I get future-proof hardware today? So I reduce the switch time in the future. Just, I'm, I'm going to ask a follow-up on that question. When do we... Um... I mean, I, I touched on this with you, uh, Jonathan, earlier, but but when do we expect that, like, the first big deal involving an airline and a Leo constellation 
to take place. I mean, you, I think you. I mean, Jonathan, you mentioned you're in discussions, and I'm sure Telesat and OneWeather um, are having discussions with airlines as well. What What is a realistic timeline? Do you think for that that first airline Leo deal to be signed? Are we how far away are we from that? Who, who am I on the spot for this one? I'm going to put Ben on this one. I, I'm going to Ben, and then if Jonathan and Manic want to follow up. So how soon? How soon, Ben? Um, I, I think realistically that would logically follow um, some definition on the terminal side and some, some risk aversion on the network was in terms of um, launches and things. Um, so I would expect uh, middle part of next year is probably quite realistic, um, maybe maybe sooner. Um, I, I, you know, as, as you say, we, we, we are and have been talking to airlines quite some time so um there is no there's no lack of interest and and uh, uh positive apprehension about this um but i i you know I've, I've been around a bit in this space and i know that people want to see real things and they want to see you know to, to not sign up for things that may not happen so i don't think it's going to come uh prematurely especially as i mentioned earlier in, in the in, in the current climate that, that we're all in globally I'll just a quick follow-up with you, Jonathan, and I may get to the, the next question. Uh, ben said about the middle of next year, do you think that's realistic or sooner? Yeah, I think what, what Ben said is correct. People want to see the hardware. They want to see the constellation. And they, and and so, um, you know, we're, we're driving that as hard and as fast as we can. Um, and when the announcement will be to be determined, um, don't know. Hopefully sooner rather than later. <laughs> okay, Let, let's go on to the uh, we've got, uh, questions of coming in thick and fast now. Uh, we have a question about what are your thoughts on the required bandwidth for a passenger to get the great experience that uh, that Jonathan, I think you were referring to. So I'll start with you, Jonathan, as also you yeah. were mentioned in this question. What, what are your thoughts on the required bandwidth? I, I don't have a, a definite answer, but we've been look we've been spending a lot of time thinking about this question and trying to figure out what what that is, and and, and certainly working with folks in the industry that are currently providing in-flight connectivity and have metrics. What I think the challenge is 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 what it is today is not what it's going to be tomorrow. I think people's habits are going to change. People's usage are going to change. Right now, the habits on airlines are reflective of the quality of the services they get. Folks download movies before they get on. Like you don't download a movie before you go home to watch it at home. Um, and, and so I, I see folks um, using internet more like they use it at home. Um, they want instant gratification. They want a great service. They want low latency. Um, and so I, I think the consumption is gonna be a lot more than, than, than folks are anticipating. Um, and, and making sure that our, our network is, is supportive of that. We want to make sure that there's going to be growth. People always want more bandwidth. <laughs> there's never a time when someone says, give me less bandwidth. So they'll, they'll find a way to, to, to utilize it. Manik, any, any thoughts on that question on the required bandwidth for a great experience? Yeah, sure. So today, uh, again, this is all crystal ball, but uh, today aircrafts get anywhere from 10 to 30 megabit, and that's 
only 10% of the people are using it and they're getting a suboptimal experience like Jonathan mentioned um, with the way the what the airlines want to achieve and the, and the economics of it I think 40 to 50% take rate is not going to be unheard of very soon especially when freemium kind of models will be explored so straight out of the bat you're you're seeing at least four to five times the bandwidth as of today so 50 to 100 megabits uh, is, is definitely what airlines, a good airline would need if they want to do what they talk. And this is for a narrow body, for wide bodies, it could be higher. But it's not just the downlink speed. I think that is, uh, today there's a massive asymmetry. It's, it's asymmetric from downlink versus uplink speed. I think this, the links are getting more symmetric as we speak. Um, uh, all of us on an aircraft sending work emails and so forth. So I think it will be about 50 to 100 in the downlink side, but uplink would not be less than like 30 or 40 megabit. So it's going to get quite symmetric. Ben, did you have anything to add? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think as with many of these questions, it depends. It depends what region of the world you're in, what kind of carrier it is, what demographic of passengers you're carrying, what they tend to be doing, what devices are they using? And we're talking about required bandwidth for a passenger. Well, a passenger might have two or three different devices. Um, you know, are they streaming? Are they just sending, you know, WhatsApp or OTT sort of mess, you know? So it, it does depend. Um, I think uh, and Manic says 10 to 10 to 30 megabits per second per aircraft at the moment. I, I think that's actually quite generous, to be honest. Um, I, uh, you know, maybe in some parts of the world that that's uh, you know the US is is certainly overserved in terms of capacity in certain certain areas. And um, but I think uh, you know all of the all of the performance that we're talking about here, I think, is is plenty. Right. So how much is enough? Plenty is enough. It just depends what what the passengers want to do. So it comes back to the question of airlines don't want to be experts in satellites. Well, that's fine. That's why it's very important for us to understand what the requirements of them and their passengers are. And then we can make sure there's sufficient uh, performance capacity and all the rest of it bandwidth going to going to their aircraft. Okay, um, we've got a couple of questions on the ground segment and the antenna, so I want to, to focus a little bit on, on that now. And a uh, question here about, could you uh, please expand a bit on the required type of antenna for uh, the LEO environment um, and, and sort of, I guess, what the, uh, the trends would be here in terms of the types of antennas? Um, let, me start with, let me start with you, Jonathan, then go to, to Ben and Manik for this so it's a question of the antenna type for the ground infrastructure or for the airline connectivity? I would imagine it's for the airline connectivity. Sure, I, I thought you said it's ground infrastructure. Um, the, 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 the antenna construction for, um, uh, for airlines is a derivative of the ones we've been developing for, for, a, uh, for a consumer. So a uh, flat panel um, phased array antenna. Um, and so we get a, a lot of advantages on um, obviously weight profile, um, and and so it, it's it's going to be very very similar to to what we're we're utilizing for for the consumer one um, with obvious enhancements for for aviation uh, connectivity. I think that's what the question was asking, but I, I honestly not one hundred percent sure. <laughs> Yeah, well, Soren, if you wanted to follow up in the comments, let us know. Ben, any Ben then Manic on this one? Yeah, I, I think looking at the question as, as it's written here, um, L band is is not going to cut the mustard in terms of providing megabits per second to an aircraft. Um, 
so we are looking at KU or KA um, or, or some other thing that may come along in, in decades to come. Um, OneWeb is, is using KU um, and uh, Manic will tell you that Telus is using, using KA. It doesn't make a great deal of difference, to be perfectly honest. Um, but the, the antenna types, uh, as Jonathan was saying, are, um, well, ours are electronically steered arrays. And there's all sorts of technology, absolutely, um, um, what I'm trying to say here, it, it's coming on a leaps and bounds in terms of the capability of it. But the profile of it, the um, ESAs are, are so well suited to LEO operations because they, they're always looking straight up or, or you know, the angle of attack is normally pretty much straight up. So you can harness a great deal of the power of the satellites without having to compromise with look angles and things like that. Even over polar regions and oceans and all things, so um, it, it's it's a, it's a fairly simple question, but it's it's a massively complicated answer. But KUKA, I would say, is is the predominant for broadband is the pr predominant um, antenna type. Uh, I, yeah, just add to that. Uh, yes, uh, we've picked the KA band because that's where <clears throat> most of the industry is headed for the future. Uh, but from an antenna form factor. Like I mentioned, we want to make it easier for airlines to get onto our network. So it will work with, uh, we've, we've done some work with the, the current, what you would call a gimbaled antenna. So if they have a gimbaled antenna installed, that will work with the light speed network. Um, there are other form factors and products in the market today, like Pincom, which has a KA product in market today. So, uh, and, and, we are, and we are testing that as well. And then you've got the electronically steered antenna, which uh, <clears throat> Jonathan mentioned about. Uh, so we see uh, start off with the existing products so people can switch easily and then um, uh, electronic antennas uh, as and when they come to market we want to be an open as open architecture as possible so we allow multiple hardware options okay i'm it's kind of a similar question i'm just going to follow up with this question um how closely are leo satellite providers working with antenna providers towards an inexpensive ground tower very much a similar um focus question uh, let, let me stick with you uh, with this one manic and uh, and uh, get your thoughts on this one yeah like i mentioned we are all working extremely closely uh, because um it, it, the whether you call it the user terminal or the antenna hardware i think that is the a very critical part <laughs> if you are launching billions into our constellation. Um, so Telesat is working again with both the products that are in the market today, but also with some futuristic uh, antenna developers for uh, electronically steered antennas. Um, so anyone and everyone in the market, we are working very closely today with them. Ben, Jonathan, any follow up on that one? I'll jump in. Um, probably not coming as, as a surprise to anybody who knows, knows SpaceX, but we are maintaining our, our, our vertical integration. Uh, currently, we've designed and built our own phased array uh, antenna, and we're going to, again, leverage that for, for the aviation. But having having that vertical integration allows us to iterate. Um, it shares commonality with the satellites that we're, that we're launching as well, um, but allows us to, to um, as I mentioned, iterate on designs and improve the designs um, and, and optimize for, for, for the end user. Um, and it also allows us to control uh, cost um, to, to, to a large extent um, and, and also our ability to, to produce on schedule. So 
between you know, maintaining vertical integration has definitely been a, a um, quality uh, cost and, and a schedule driver that it gives us, a, I think, a distinct advantage. And? Yeah, um, I'll just answer the question directly. Yes, we're working very closely with antenna providers for inexpensive ground terminals. Um, I, I, I can't, I can't answer it any more directly. So we'll have we'll have small form factor capability, um, and they'll be they'll be rolled out relatively uh, relatively soon. Okay, let's get to our next question. We've we've got a a few minutes left, and the questions are still uh, flying in, which is which is great. So we have a question specifically for for Jonathan here. So if we can get this one up, how will Starlink serve airplanes over oceans or operating far from a ground station? Sure. Um, well, uh, with the current architecture, you can you can service qu quite a bit of the aviation market. Um, uh, even even off coast, you can reach uh, ground stations that are that are that are off the coast. But the true transoceanic flights will will require uh, intersatellite links, um, which our constellation we launched um, uh, the ones in January. We launched ten satellites with intersatellite links, um, and these are the optical lasers that allow you to transverse the the data down to an available ground station. Um, and then the, the the next generation of our constellation, um, which is in work, is we'll, we'll have this intersatellite connectivity. And I believe that's the, the essence of the of the question. Again, something we've designed and built uh, in house as well. Okay, let's go on to our uh, let's go on to our next question. Still trying to get through as many as we can. A weather related question, which for anybody who knows in the UK, we love talking about the weather. So we need a, a traditional weather question. Is how does the weather impact? How does weather impact Leo to low altitude uh, aircraft connectivity? Uh, for example, low level approach um, for landing. It's an interesting question. Um, Manik, do you want to take this one first? Yeah, I can start off. Um, so a big benefit of LEO versus traditional satellites, apart from the latency advantage, is also your link is so much more stronger because you're so much closer to Earth now. Imagine someone shouting at you from 35,000 kilometers or 1,000 kilometers. So if you're, if you're, you don't have to shout as, as loud. So that helps a lot in making the link very, very strong and very resilient, especially when you've got weather events. Um, and over and above that, uh, all of us will have multiple satellites visible to an aircraft. So in case you have bad weather from a angle, you can always serve it from another angle. So you've got these inherent advantages which make LEO very resilient versus traditional faraway satellites. Ben? I, I can actually answer this with experience. Um, it, it doesn't. I, I, I was at the uh, warm-up demo center uh, recently, which is in the UK, which you won't you won't uh, be genius to work out that the weather was terrible there was you know storms going on wind rain like really 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 multi-level level low um, layered cloud and the service was was impeccable we were seeing 430 megabits per second from from each beam you know no problem at all so don't expect that to be any different to to aircraft this was this was a terrestrial um service in, in this case so uh, and, and Manic explained the physics quite well because you're much closer. You, you don't you don't need the power or the amplification to be able to to be able to. It, it doesn't become an issue basically. And I've seen that firsthand. Nice UK-based example as well, Jonathan. Any any follow-up on that one? Uh, just just to you know, we have 
our terminals deployed, uh, whether it's on an aircraft during final approach or it's in uh, the, the backwoods of, of Canada during a snowstorm blizzard or, or a hurricane, you, know, you, you can go to Reddit and see the folks um, praising the, the ability to keep uh, connectivity at, at high speeds through inclement weather. Um, so we've proven that this is something that we can work around. Okay, uh, another question here, um, and this is about um, geographical areas, so we'll get this one up. Um, is the service coverage, um, is it uniform all over the earth or will there be any preferential treatment for some geographical areas? Um, Jonathan, do you want to start on this one? Then we'll go to uh, Ben and Manik. Sure. I mean, at, at a super high level, um, from a technology photon level, like no, there's no difference uh, where you are on Earth. Where the challenges come are, are the regulatory, the ground stations, um, and you know, there's there's other aspects of of booting up the system as you come back online over land masses that um, add in um, complexities, but. But yes, uh, in, in theory, the, the coverage should be uniform all over the earth. Ben? Just unmute to avoid that classic embarrassment. Yeah, it's, um, of course, it, depend, it depends on, on the design of the network, but our, our initial coverage is, is, is intended to be uniform all over the earth. Um, but the way that the satellites uh, work, or are certainly, is that in areas where they're not providing service, um, you know, they may turn off and and, um, and recharge on certain parts of their orbit. But in, in theory, you put down um, uniform uh, uniform coverage all over. Yeah. Yeah, I'll continue. Yes, uh, the light speed network is also coverage globally. Uh, but I think the more important one is uh, about the capacity, not coverage, because by default, we have to get full global coverage. But you want to make sure that where there is a lot of demand, there's enough capacity uh, and not just a thin layer of coverage. So that's also an important Leo characteristic. OK, we've only got a few minutes left, so we'll, I'm getting through these questions as, as, as fast as we can. We have a question uh, really based on, on business aviation, which is something we haven't really, really touched upon. We've looked more at commercial airline. And, and it's a long question, so I'll, I'll try and get through it relatively quickly um, and paraphrase it maybe. Based on current dynamics, it, it seems like there's a major opportunity for commercial um, airlines to leverage LEO. When looking at the business aviation segment and existing service providers with a large install base, at what point does each company offer LEO capacity to a dominant telecom provider with a singular focus and expertise in the business aviation segment? Um, I mean, if you can give a direct answer, but just also maybe just talk in, in general about how you see the business aviation market uh, um, and LEO. Um, let me start with, with uh, Jonathan, and then we'll go to... Had to start with me, didn't you? This is a tough question. <laughs> um, but but the, the question was talking about uh, relationships with existing telecom providers. Um, yes, I, that was part of the question. It's a, I said it's a very long question, so um, I've, I'm, I'm reading through the whole question again here. but. Uh, I think um, it's talking about relationships with telecoms providers, 
uh, which have a focus on, on business aviation. I mean, just, I mean, if we can maybe just simplify it and, and talk maybe about the, I mean, we've talked about the commercial market. How do you see sort of the business aviation market here and, and what you need to do to be successful here? Certainly. I mean, the business aviation is obviously something that we're, we're looking at as well. It has a different use case, um, but certainly it, it's a worthwhile opportunity to, to explore. I mean, business users want great internet. <laughs> They're going to be the ones that are going to be most disturbed by having uh, uh, not, not the best uh, brand you know, on the onset. So we're certainly definitely looking at... Uh, um, business jets. Ben? Yeah, I, I, you know, business aviation is incredibly important to, to OneWeb. Um, we, we take it very seriously. I'm, um, I, I presume this is a US-based based question, but um, um, I, I think actually in business aviation, what's most important is, is getting a, a, a turnkey solution for all of the elements of business aviation, not just connectivity on its own. Which means, I mean, there are there are experts in that field who do all sorts of things, flight planning, fuel, connectivity, etc., etc., etc. So, um, this this is a question purely on, on distribution. I mean, at what point does each company offer the air capacity to a dominant telecom provider? At the point it becomes logical to do so, I, I would say. Um, at the moment, um, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, and, and I'm just picking up on the question that the singular focus and expertise, I don't marry a telecom and maybe I don't know, but I don't marry an existing telecom that has that singular focus and expertise in that in that segment. If I'm wrong, then I'm happy to be told so. My, I'll, I'll address that more generally. So business aviation, yes, an important segment and they are the super users. But business aviation is actually a segment of two sub markets. You've got the big aircrafts where you can fit the big satellite antenna which is happening today but these smaller aircrafts have had a problem where satellites couldn't serve them because the size of the airframe is only so much uh, but we are uh, again coming back to you're so much lower we can shout louder and all that uh, we can get uh, a small antenna that can even serve a small business jet uh, which has been a, tra a traditionally underserved market um, so yes the entire gamut of business aviation from small to large telesat would be addressing it uh Great. I'm, I'm going to ask one of my questions now because we've only got about a couple of minutes uh, left. Um, do you, I mean, we know that all of your companies are targeting various verticals, different business segments. Um, how important is aviation for SpaceX, Telesat and OneWeb in, in the context of your overall business and the markets you're looking to serve? How important is this market um, for you? And I'll, I'll go first with you, Manik, and then go to, to Ben and Jonathan. Yeah, as you know, Mark, uh, we've been very focused on the enterprise market, not so much on the consumer market. So within the enterprise market, uh, mobility is a very important segment uh, and aviation within that um, uh, is uh, all, all segments of aviation, manned, unmanned, commercial business, all of that is very important for us. Um, in the long term, again, looking crystal ball, end of the decade kind of view, I think it will be material about a, a one fourth to one third of uh, all our usage would come from the aviation segment. Yeah, same. I mean, aviation is vitally important to what OneWeb's doing. Um, you know, commercial aircraft, airlines, um, business aviation, and, and government stuff as well. You know, anything that flies, UAVs, 
everything has a, a as a need to put data, you know, take data down or, or, or put it up, um, and increasingly so. Um, and, and I won't I won't regurgitate the stats, but every every new aircraft that comes along spits out terabytes of, of data almost on every flight. So, is there value of getting that off in real time? Maybe, uh, but the ability to have that um, uh, uh, data streamed streamed down to the ground is very important, and will open up new sorts of applications that. Uh, until this point, we've not been able to do operationally or or otherwise for, for aircraft and passengers. Jonathan, uh, so you know when when we look at what markets to to to, to target, it, it's not always the, the easiest ones first for sure. Um, uh, we actually have rolled out on, on consumer, but we look at where where can we have the most public good with the constellation that we're, we're looking at. Obviously, there's a lot of consumers that just. In, whether it's schools, et cetera, just are, are not connected. Um, one of the next big groups of, of folks that, that, that require uh, connectivity and great connectivity is aviation. So it seems like a logical step that this is going to be the next big, big portion of what we're, we're trying to, to, to get into. Um, I don't think anybody says they have a great internet experience on a plane. <laughs> um, and that, so it's, it's a problem to, to tackle. So that brings us to the end of this episode. As always, please subscribe to us on Apple's podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast.